0: Welcome to Sunday Showcase. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Welcome aboard the Scarlet Queen. You're listening to Mutual Presents and I'm your host Jack Ward here with my pirate queen kitty. Penny. This week we travel to the Mutual YouTube where we showcase the very best from our spiritual grandfather, the Mutual Broadcasting System. And on Thursday Thrillers, we continue the sea adventures with The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. This week with a Barefoot Nymph and Mother Hubbard Jacket. Oh, didn't they have such amazing titles back then? And Jewel Thieves and the Straw-Filled Dummy. So let's wind back our clocks and set the time for yesteryear and get on board.
1: 20 degrees, 29 minutes east, 14 degrees north. Wind light, sky overcast. Remarks departed port of Manila, 9 a.m. after canceling shore leave for crew. Reason for unscheduled departure? The barefoot nymph in the mother Hubbard Jacket. China that we raised the island of Luzon on the eastern horizon and stood in toward Manila. I swung the Scarlet Queen a little north of her course, and we passed close under the rocks of Corregidor. Every eye on our decks was turned toward the squat fortifications for a minute. By this time they were covered with jungle growth again and were loudly silent in the manner of monuments that hold the stories of men who made them monuments. Beyond the island, we could see the steaming mass of Batan, and we swung back into Manila Bay. Manila should have been a friendly, relaxing port for all of us. It meant a break in our voyage under charter to Canyon, sun. To my crewmen, it meant the longest shore leave they'd had since we left San Francisco. And girls who knew what that meant to American seamen. My chief mate, Gallagher, it was like a home state picnic. The harbor was jammed with freighters and tankers from the states. That meant that the Belanga Street bars were jammed with their crews. And that meant that Gallagher was jammed in with them, running into old friends and making new ones. Manila should have been a holiday. And it was, for three days and two nights. At 10 o'clock the third night, I was in the cabin alone, thumbing through the latest hydrographic bulletin I'd been able to find in town, I heard somebody running down the dock toward the Queen. Red! <laughs> What's the matter? Her husband show up? What's up, Red? What the Come mind? on, calm down. What's the automatic? Oh, we'll this? Come on. on, give it to me, Red. Get away from me, stupid. Sure you're off your nut. What happened? Who'd you kill? The president? I might if he gets Get in it. the way. Gallagher! <laughs> I'd made an automatic loose in Manila. There wasn't much time for the hydrographic bulletin. I closed it, locked my desk, and went out after him. And so
2: Mutual continues the voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log. And every week, a league further in the strange Voyage of the Scarlet Queen.
1: is being pushed by temper or is in a hurry he walks as though he's working up against the incline of a pitching deck in a storm his body bends forward from a point almost as low as his feet his shoulders pull up protectively on each side of his head and his arms barely swing in short arcs I followed him up to Botanical Street across the railroad track through the park on Ambil and Dewey Boulevard and to the left on Belanger we passed three bars I could hear the force from a half a block away. The dimly lighted sign that hung outside said Victory Cabaret. But judging from the din of battle that poured out at us as we approached, somebody had been a little premature naming it. The remaining activity was going on in the center of what was left of a large bar room. I lost that for a minute, but then I found him in the center of the room. him again, and then I saw him heading toward a door at the rear of the room.. He stopped at another door, halfway down a long, dimly lit hall by the time I caught up with him. He opened it. The room was furnished with a broken window, a woman who looked like Miss America, and a man who should have been in a morgue instead of sprawled on his face where he was.
3: Somebody came in right after you left, and I tried
4: to hide it. Then the window broke, and I heard the shot. That's all it was. I... Who is he, Ren? I... Cliff Peterson. He killed on me as Bolson last year. Huh? What's the bait? It started over Lona here, but it wasn't her fault. She was here with Peterson, and this drunk started pouring her, and Peterson poked him. That's the way it started. Who was that guy, Lona? You know him?
3: Uh, I, I met him yesterday. His name's Mason Ralph, or something like that. I don't know him. I, I don't know why he picked on me. I don't know why he picked... I'm not sure Sure, he's the one that killed Peterson, but who else could it have been?
1: He was
4: wearing a gun. He started to pull it after Pete's foot.
1: How'd you get mixed up in this, Red? Because he pulled that gun. That's when I plugged him. And that's when he took a shot at me, and that's when I got sold. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now you've collected a shiner and a split lip. You've had a fine night. Now it's time for bed. Come on, let's go.
3: Red, please. I, you you promised me you'd help me out of this. one. I'm afraid to leave here alone. I don't
4: know where that mason is or anything. The whole thing's so crazy. I'm just scared. Oh, Look, no Skipper, take her home, will you? Why me? I didn't ask you to tag along, did I? But now that you're here, do something. I want to stick with Pete till so I can get word to his ship. I hope somebody's around to do the same thing for me sometime. And at this rate, it won't be long. <laughs> well, thanks, Skipper. Well, you want to fight your way out through the bar, or with a nice broken back window in a quiet alley do?
1: It was easier getting out than it had been coming in. I flipped out first. I crunched under the glass, the window glass on the ground. I waited quietly for a minute to see if the noise had raised anybody. I gave the alley a quick once over. There was nobody in sight. But just as I started to turn back to the building, I caught a glitter of metal in the light from the window was a small nickel-plated revolver lying on the other side of the alley. Now, if the gunman had tossed it there, it was all right with me. I left it for the cops. Lona followed me out, and in five minutes, we were in one of Manila's prize, two-wheeled, horse-drawn rigs, and we were headed for her address. I, I wonder what's
3: going to happen.
1: The law's going to show up, and they're going to start scattering the bones what usually happens with murder. I'm so scared, I don't know what to do. Oh, come on, calm down. You're a beautiful dame, and a couple of guys started fighting over you. In fact, the whole joint finally was. You're just living in the wrong century, that's all. Women thrived on that kind of stuff a few hundred years ago.
3: I suppose the police will get my name, won't they?
1: You'll be lucky if they don't.
3: Oh, dear. That'll mean my job. It all
1: started out to be an evening of just fun. Look, Lona, I don't feel quite as sorry for you as you do. I'll tell you why. Maybe it'll help you. It started out to be an evening of just fun for Peterson, too, didn't it? I'm sorry,
3: Skip. All right.
1: Now, is there something else you'd like to talk about?
3: No, I guess you said everything.
1: The trip was not comfortable, but it was silent. We spotted across the Patig River and turned down a wide thoroughfare that led in the general direction of the exclusive residential district under Tagate Bridge. The direction surprised me only a little, but her address when we finally reached it was as far removed as Manhattan's Seekman Place from the Victory Cabaret. In class, if not in miles. It was a graceful mansion set behind a well-tended lawn that was made precisely irregular by a few neat garden plots, made primly informal by a number of mango and papaya trees that threw cautious shadows in the faint moonlight.
3: Well, uh, aren't you going to let me out?
1: Yeah, if you're sure this is the right address?
3: Do you want to come in?
1: No, thanks. I'm confused enough out here.
3: You're a refreshing guy, Skipper.
1: Uh-huh.
3: A helpless dame and there are no passes or anything. Nothing but a brotherly remark about my being beautiful.
1: Yeah. I'm always shy with women I take away from dead men.
3: You kicked me all the way up from Belanger Street. I guess you just had to kick me into the house, didn't you? Good night, Skipper.
1: Thanks. Good night, Lona. Hey, Cachero. Back to the Victory Cabaret, Belangus Street. I paid my Cachero off and headed into the Victory Cabaret. The only person in sight was a hefty, barrel-waisted bartender who was pushing a broom at the litter on the floor. Keep your pay in your pocket, mate. I ain't open for business. Yeah, so I see. What happened? What happened? Well, I'll tell you. It was no more than a friendly little scuffle. Yeah, looks it. A few of the hands from a few of the ships come to the shore for a good time. The, uh, the cops get here? And it cost me a few thousand dollars. But somebody's got to keep up the morale in the Merchant marine. A nice bunch of boys. The cops. Couldn't they help you? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. Anybody killed? That's so I hear. One outright and a half a dozen they wasn't quite sure of. Eh, you missing any friends? Yeah, one. Big red-headed guy wearing a jumper with the sleeves rolled up, tattooing on his arms. With a name like Gallagher. He's a friend of yours, you say? Yeah, why? You better be careful who you admit it to. They got a book for murder. They're nuts. Oh, I don't know. A fellow was shot in one of my rooms back there. And they sneaked up on this Gallagher. He was outside the window with a gun that's done the shooting, still in his hand. They're nuts! I saw that gun lying out there in the alley myself. I can prove Gallagher didn't kill him. Huh? Well, that story, you better find another port. While we're on the subject of moving, get out of here, will you? I lost enough friends in the forest tonight. I walked out of the door ten steps up the sidewalk, and
5: then
1: five steps back watched the bartender pick up the telephone. This time I took a cab to Lona's address. I wondered what she'd say now about involving her name when it was to clear red. I had a few answers for that. And I was working on a few things to say to Gallagher for standing there in that alley with a murder weapon in his hand when we pulled up in front of the house. By the time I reached the door, I knew it was no good. 1 a.m. But I had a hunch that for Lona, the day hadn't ended.
3: Well, well, Skipper.
1: I hope it isn't too late. It never
3: is at my house. Come on in.
1: She had a sort of breathless expression when she talked to me. The corners of her mouth were drawn up slightly into a bare trace of a smile. Her lips were always separated, just a little eyes were warm and brown. She led me through a short hall and down three steps into a large, carelessly furnished room. She was dressed in a hostess gown of some light, clinging material. Her hair went with her eyes and it hung just short of shoulder length. And her feet were bare. We crossed the room and into oh, a den are. that had a tile floor, low, wide bamboo furniture, wide, screened windows that looked out onto a side garden.
3: This is my favorite room. Do you like it? Yeah, great. I don't think you really like rooms. Some men don't. Sit down.
1: Uh-huh.
3: Okay. Oh, no, no, no. There. Huh? you see my abstractions. I paint a little. Over here on the chair. Here. You been drinking, or shall I mix one for you? I
1: haven't been drinking, and I'd like one.
3: All right.
1: How'd you know I'd be back?
3: Because I asked you.
1: I didn't hear you.
3: I didn't ask you with words. I asked you with me. Oh.
1: You're an amazing little creature.
3: Why are you looking at me like
1: that? Huh? You've changed so many times tonight, but I can't stay abreast of you. I
3: change all the time, so I won't become monotonous. That's the only way I can stand myself. Which one of me do you like the best?
4: This one. Barefooted. With your hair down.
3: I was brushing my hair when you rang the bell. I don't think many women do, but I love my hair. So soft. Feel it. Where do you come from? Every place. Do that with my hair some more. What's your other name besides Skipper, I mean? Phil. Huh. What? What's the matter? Nothing. Nothing, darling. Glass just rolled up and broke. For a minute, I didn't know what it was. Listen. That. That sound will be this night, even when I'm old. Your nice, tanned face and your blue eyes and your strong hands. You think I'm beautiful, don't you? I
4: think you're beautiful.
3: Good to be with someone who thinks you're beautiful. Tell me. You're beautiful. Yes, I know. Darling. Phil, I'm so happy. It's so good to be beautiful with you.
1: Maybe it would have been different if I hadn't been afraid of her. Or if I hadn't been convinced that everything she said or did had purpose. Or if I hadn't known that each of us was waiting for the other to bring up the subject of Gallagher's arrest. But there was no doubt about one thing. And it was hard to keep it from overshadowing anything else. As she repeatedly stated, as she loved to state, as she loved to hear me repeatedly state, she was beautiful. From any measurement or any comparison, she was beautiful. Beautiful but even she dropped the subject after a while.
3: Make mine weaker than yours, will
1: you, Phil? I put it the other way. I'll make mine stronger than yours. It makes
3: make you happier that way, I'm
1: willing. Oh, mm. well, better get this glass off the deck unless you expect me to carry you around the rest of the night. How
3: long are you going to be in Manila, Skipper? Oh, I don't
1: know.
3: I wish it was going to be for a long time. Yeah, it might be. Phil, listen to me. I've got to say this. You've got to know I mean it. Mm-hmm. it happens, but it never happened to me, and now I think it could. I could fall in love. <laughs> don't
1: laugh at me. <laughs> don't joke. I'm
3: not joking. For the first time in my life, I think it could happen.
1: I'm sure you mean that as a great compliment. But somehow it doesn't hit me. Oh,
3: Phil, why are you acting like this? Because
1: I don't believe you. Because I've never had any reason to believe you. Because I've got nothing but lies from you ever since I met you. But
3: I'm not lying. Why are you treating
1: me like this? What other way is there? You're a great little animal to have around the house, but you're only safe when you're out in front where somebody can watch you. All right, Phil. Maybe you know what you're trying to say. So do you. For one thing, you killed Peterson.
3: I did not.
1: You were lying, man. You said he was shot from outside the window, and he wasn't. He was shot by somebody inside the room. You were the only one there.
3: I didn't kill him.
1: Now, don't think I haven't enjoyed your so alluring hospitality. But the smiling, spontaneous welcome I got at the door doesn't hold water. Because I'll bet you my ship that you knew I was on the prowl and probably heading this way 40 minutes before I got here, and you heard it from the bartender at the Victory Cabaret. I saw him go to the phone. What are you supposed to do? Hold me here? And for why? What do you want, Phil? I want my chief mate. I'll trade you or anybody else in on him.
3: Oh, Phil, why did you wait? If you suspected these things, why did you go through with the, the jam of life?
1: All I want is my chief mate. If you don't start doing something about it, I will. All right,
3: Phil. I have to make a couple of calls. The phone's in the other room. You carry me.
1: Hmm? Huh? Oh, Yeah. It was the deal, was it? Uh,
3: I wonder why it had to be this way, Phil.
1: I don't know. I don't know what your game is, and I don't care, but you were in it before I went.
3: Phil, Red was only a coincidence. Really, he was. Mm-hmm. He just happened to know Chris Peterson and sit down with us. And then the stupid redhead, he had to go out the window and find that gun and be standing there when the police showed up. So then Delkey had the brainstorm and twisted Who's the story. Yes, he told the cops that Gallagher instead of Mason had made the pass of I me. Mean, that started the whole thing. And he went after Peter. Yeah, yeah,
1: All right, Here's your phone.
3: Do you believe me,
1: sir? How in the devil should I know when to believe in and when not to? I told you I don't care. All I want is my chief mate. When I get him, I'll believe anything.
3: Gallagher was just supposed to stall things until Mason could get back to the States. He was leaving in the morning. I was supposed to hold you until his ship... Came. All right,
1: fine. Let him find somebody else for a stall. Who are you going to start with, the chief of police?
3: <laughs> i
1: afraid the police
3: think even less of me than you do. We have to settle this between Ralph Mason and Delkey and myself.
1: You're going to bring them out here? Where else? Hmm. Looks like I'm going to be outnumbered, doesn't it? I stood by her when she made her calls, and as far as I could figure, they were straight. Just strong invitations to get to the house as quickly as possible. Then she made a typical exit into another part of the house, and I went back to the den. I thought the least I could do was to get rid of the jagged edges of our brief and hypocritical romance, so I got a bar towel and pushed the broken glass under the couch. When she came in, she'd gone through another complete change. She was dressed like her front lawn, primly informal, in beige flack, popped by an overmodest jacket buttoned high around her throat and hanging loosely like a mother hubbard to her waist.
3: It shouldn't be long, Phil.
1: Maybe we could have a neat one while we wait. Yeah, sure, sit Incidentally, I don't like your new character.
3: It's all right for the time of night, isn't it? I
1: guess
3: so. I think I ought to warn you, Phil. Mason is dangerous. He'll try to buy you off first.
1: Buy me off for what? I'll
3: try to talk you into... Do you want to go to the door with me? Or do you trust me enough
1: to let me meet them? I can't think of anybody I ever trusted less. Go ahead.
3: Captain Carney, this is Ralph Mason, and I believe you said that you'd
1: met Mr. Delky. Yeah. yeah. What's on your mind, Carney? My chief mate. I well, I'm out of jail. I got enough on that mess in the Victory Cabaret to tell a pretty good story. It's a pretty good story the way it stands. Cops like it. They won't by the time I get through with it. Just one thing. The glass from that window that was supposed to have been broken from the outside. None of it's inside the room where it should be. You think that's enough? Since they arrested Gallagher standing on the outside looking in, it might be. Even Manila cops should change their mind on that one. That uh, story could wait, couldn't it? Not the way I see it, no. Use your head, mate.
6: Don't be rude.
1: What's your price, Connie, to leave your mate in the jug until we're clear of this? With the truth, you can get him out any time. It's pretty high. I'm leaving tomorrow. I'll start with $15,000. I don't think you can go high enough, Mason. You might as well quit. All I need is a patsy, and I don't care who it is. May
3: I say something, Ralph? I don't quite see why we have to bargain with Captain Carney. You didn't hesitate about Peterson after his double-cross, Ralph. Now Captain Carney is in the way.
1: When you hate, you hate real good, don't you?
3: It's business, Captain. I used such bad judgment when I offered to let you join our little organization. You what? What
1: are you talking about?
3: Captain Carney has a ship that would fit into our inter island work. I'm so afraid I made a mistake. I explained the type of contraband that was coming in from the States, the prices we were getting for it, and how there were opportunities for a man like him. I'm so sorry. He led me to believe that he was interested.
1: You're a sucker for men, Lorna. You found Peterson, too. That cost us $30,000 worth of stateside liquor and three months to get it over here. Peterson sold it on his own.
3: Not quite on his own, Ralph. He didn't have any contacts here.
1: Who was in with him? Well, I
3: was his very best friend in Manila.
1: Why, you dirty... (laughs) Mason shoved his chair out of the way behind him as he got up and started reaching inside his coat for a shoulder hook. That's when the mother Hubbard jacket lifted a little on the right side and Lona's manicured hand pulled a belly gun from the waistband of a slack. It twice, quickly and effectively. And Mason stiffened. And his right hand stopped an inch away from his gun butt. And he toppled slowly backward across his overturned chair.
3: Delky, don't ask one question. I have this all worked out. But, Lona... You can solve the murder in your cabaret. You take Mason down to the police. Tell him the story of how the glass is on the wrong side of the window. You tell him you captured Mason single-handed and you'll gain a whole lot of new customers.
1: Well, they believe me, Lona. It's the
3: truth, isn't it? And here's the gun you captured him with to prove it. Now get him out of here. Good heavens. Look at that
5: slower. Whoa.
3: I wonder what this all meant, Phil. Hmm? All
1: oh, what, Lana?
3: This thing we lived through. It's been important, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, slightly. Two guys didn't make it. Oh, is what I
3: mean. We did move everything and make this little room the center of the world, didn't
1: we? I wish I knew what you meant.
3: You wonder if I'm still in love with you, don't you?
1: Handedly, by this time, I don't know what I wonder.
3: Oh, I could be, Phil. I'm afraid it's impractical. If you'll just hold me just once more. Tell me once more. Beautiful, Lona. And I'll always remember the glasses, Phil. It's getting late. You'll have to go. Well,
1: well, couldn't we have one more drink?
3: Oh, no, I wouldn't dare. got to put my hair in braids and straighten the house up. My husband is coming home Your in the husband? morning. He worries so about me. I have to have everything Your just Your husband? Sold. Where is he? Oh, he has gold mines in Mindoro. He's much older than I am. But he's rich. He allows me to stay here in Manila with my hobbies. Goodbye, Captain Carney.
5: Oh.
1: Up the rest of my men, and we swept away from our berth and headed out through Manila Bay. We picked up a moist, hot wind at the mouth.
5: Stand by to
1: the, and the exhausted crew stumbled to their stations, every man bare to the waist and glistening wet. the mainsail looked tired as it struggled up the mainmast and reaped hopefully out for a pulling breeze. Did
5: the
1: slowly out! They didn't move smartly, but the jib crawled out. Then the mizzen boom swung sullenly over my head, and the queen rolled slowly down toward Verde Island Passage, the Sebuyan Sea beyond. Well, I had a good rest
4: last night, but it looks like I'm the only one aboard the i Oh, lay off Look at that crew. It's a disgrace. I'm half a mind to send them all to Holy Stone in the deck from bow to stern. Uh, take over, will you, Red? Oh, not on your life. This is your watch, and I'm going to take my exercise. That Manila jail air is invigorating. Now way off,
1: will you, Red? Don't forget, I was sitting in the cabin with a hydrographic bulletin when you busted in.
4: <laughs> take it
1: easy, Skipper. Go on below. I'll take your trick. Have a devil will. Just wait till you call aboard the next time. And don't think you haven't done it before. We'll hand you some sympathy. <laughs> what are my chances in the next port? There, and I'll be waiting for you. It's Maspati. Maspati. Mm-hmm. What do you know about that jail? Nothing. And uh, before I take a nap, huh, what is your outstanding recollection of the capital of the Philippines? Some broken glass I pushed under a bamboo couch. <laughs> and I wonder what her husband's going to say.
4: Uh, it's funny you mention that, Skipper. Yeah? I met a husband in jail. He was in for murder. Who he kill, the wife? No. Oh, the smooth-talking stranger.
1: <laughs> Drink, Skipper. He killed the wrong one. <laughs> After you, mate. After you. <laughs> 5 30 p.m. Miles traveled from San Francisco, 9,450. Wind white, sky overcast, sea leaden. Carrying full sail, ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Scarlet Queen Philip Carney Master Position 112 degrees 32 minutes east 21 degrees 6 minutes north Wind light Sky fair Remarks Departed Hong Kong China 9 p.m. After breakdown in schedule Reason for delay The jewel thieves and the straw filled Dummy My main purpose when the Scarlet Queen slipped past Stonecutter's Island and into the teeming harbor of Hong Kong was to locate my Chinese boss, Kuji Kang, or at least to get some word of instruction for the charter voyage that had brought me all the way from San Francisco. But three days passed and I had no luck. I combed the city of Victoria from the peak to Broadway on the waterfront, but the Queen idly scraped her fenders on the dock. My crew poured their money into bar tills. My chief mate, Gallagher, threatened to sign on any ship that was going any place, And I grew more disgusted every minute at being stuck, not knowing where to go or what to do. By the end of the fourth day, I didn't care. I didn't care about anything but relaxing and forgetting. I started with a small bar on the waterfront, and by the time I'd graduated through the British Club, the Hong Kong Club, the Commercial Club, and four out of every five non-club bars I passed getting from place to place... I had almost succeeded in forgetting. I swung into the Emperor Hotel, crossed the lobby peopled by a scattering of stiff-backed crown colonists, and made the doorway to the bar to look for a table. I stopped. She was sitting alone, with an untouched drink in front of her. She looked up at me, her face set and cold. Her eyes flashed away for a second, back. Then she smiled stood up and came to me.
3: Oh, darling, there you are. I've been waiting so long, I didn't know what to think. Oh? You're so late. We'll have to rush to get dressed in time for dinner. Come on, I have the key to our room.
1: I stopped thinking it was the new Hong Kong approach when she took my arm to swing me back into the lobby. Her nails dug in, and her arm and the body behind it were shaking. The plea in her eyes gave me the rest. She was scared stiff and she needed me. We turned around and walked out into the lobby. And so Mutual
2: continues the Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log, and every week, a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen.
1: She led me across the lobby without another word, her nails still digging through my coat sleeve, her arms still shaking. When we stopped to buzz for the elevator, I looked back. A very erect, thinly built man was coming out of the bar. His walk was mincing. He stopped by a pillar and looked at us while he put a cigarette in the middle of his mouth with graceful fingers, lit it, and flourished the match delicately to the floor. A powerfully built little five-by-five walked up and joined him. They were still watching us when the elevator took us out of sight. at the front of the building on the third floor. Here. She handed me the key to unlock the door. But when it closed, everything drained out of her. She slumped down on the edge of the bed. I
3: I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so frightened. Now,
1: take it easy. You want to try a drink or something? A
3: a glass of water.
1: Sure. I hear you. Thank
3: you. And hold
1: Yeah, I'll hold it for you. <laughs> yeah. Better? Yes, I think so. Who was your oh. sylph like little friend downstairs?
3: His name is Neil Gaynor. The
1: other one, five by five? I don't
3: know what his name is.
1: They really knock you to pieces, don't they?
3: Neil says he's going to kill me. Why? They were going to follow me out of the bar, and I don't know why. I swear I don't know. They want something from me, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what they've done to my husband.
4: Where is your husband?
3: Neil says he's dead. He says he's dead, and I'm next. please.
1: Now, this is no time to cry. You're all right.
3: I've no right to ask you. But could you stay with me? Please, don't leave me.
1: It's been my fortune to only occasionally see a woman cry as she did, because she had to. It wasn't an act. It wasn't against sympathy. It was a cry of complete, terror-filled desolation. She quit shaking. A long time after that, she got up, went into the bathroom to put some cold water on her face.
3: I'm awfully sorry for everything that's happened. I'm all right now, really. Please, I didn't have any right to ask you, and I don't want you to feel you have to stay here with me any longer.
1: I don't. But
3: you aren't leaving.
1: No. Look, I was on hand when you needed me.
3: You're bargaining?
1: Believe me, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I'm taking advantage of you because you're in trouble, but if it is that, it's unconscious because I don't work that way. Maybe my world's kind of falling to pieces right now, too, and I need somebody. I'd hate to think that because I've been self-contained for a long time.
3: You aren't going.
1: You could make me go, or you could come with me. Someplace where you could forget being afraid of Neil. Someplace where he wouldn't find us.
3: Oh, we couldn't get out of here without being followed. I've been
1: tailed through cities before. Pack your bags. I'm going to take you someplace.
3: You're going to take me someplace? No one has said that to me for such a long time. It won't take me long to pack.
1: hotel by a rear door. We shouldn't have bothered. There was enough light for me to see Neil Gaynor leaning against the building. When we got into our cab, he got into one parked behind us. We want speed, driver. Turn left at the end of the alley and I'll give you directions from then on. The driver knew what speed meant, but his idea of threading through traffic was based on the theory of the straight line. Modified by the belief that the line would open through the snarled traffic ahead of it if he made enough noise with his point. Okay. We crossed and recrossed the level sections of town with Neil and the other cab trailing in our wake. We paralleled the waterfront, dodged through a maze of warehouses, finally lost him. We climbed halfway up Victoria Peak, took one of the terrace roads to the left, dropped to within a block of sea level... I finally shouted the driver to a stop in front of a Chinese flat. Right here, Charlie.
6: Remember me? I got Well, huh? uh, the one called Carney. The year have been many, son. it's time before me. We need a room for the lady, Kimui. It is done. Her baggage is outside by the steps. My son will bring it. I ain't Follow. I
1: Thanks very much, Kim. She crossed the room to the single window and opened the shutters to look out over the blinking, restless movement of the harbor. The maze of Kowloon's lights across the bay. And for the first time, she was smiling. Uh,
3: They keep playing that same record over and over again, don't they?
1: Tell me the truth. Could you tell the difference if they weren't?
3: Certainly. I can tell the difference between one with a singer and one without.
1: (laughs) We'll put you right up in my class. Feeling better?
3: Of course I am. Your friend downstairs called you Carney?
1: That's right, Phil.
3: Phil Carney.
1: You must have one, too, huh?
3: I don't want to tell you.
1: Give me a phony, then. Tell me something.
3: No, no, it's not that I want to hide anything from you. You just won't like it. My last name is Ainley. What Ainley? You won't like it. It's Henrietta. Oh, no. (laughs) I told you. Oh, it's all
1: right. It's a fine name. But you... It becomes you like uh Like a diving suit would. I told you. Well, it's too late to do anything legal about it. I'll call you Hank.
3: Oh, do you think that's prettier? Hank?
1: (laughs) Not too feminine, but when you look like you do, they could call you Sam and it wouldn't matter. (laughs) So it's all right, huh?
3: Sure. Everything is. Just for a little while, everything is all right.
1: Don't talk about it if you don't want to.
3: I think I do want to. It's simple enough, I guess. You see, my parents were killed out here during the war, and after it was over, I was all alone. Uh-huh. And I married Lucian Ainley. He was good to me. I don't know what he was mixed up in with Neil. I never asked him about anything.
1: When was the last time you saw him?
3: That was over three weeks ago. You see, our home was in Calcutta, and he, he just left one day and didn't come back. And then I got a cable to meet him here, but when I got here, it wasn't Lucian, it was Neil. And and I, I just don't know what it all means because the way Neil said it, I I think he killed Lucian. If if I just only Let's knew take
1: it easy, Hank. If
3: I knew what he was, but hey, from... hey,
1: we're out of the emperor, remember? <laughs> yes. We came out here so you could forget being scared.
3: I'm sorry, Phil. Everything is all right. Really it is. What's the matter, Phil?
1: Everything's a little frightening. What, Phil? You. What happens to me? Come here, Hank. Yes? I just want your face, like this. So I can look at it. What, Phil? I wondered what makes you so beautiful. Your mouth's a little too wide. Your eyes are a little too widely spaced. Your cheekbones a little too high.
3: They're playing that same record again.
1: Maybe you don't like comparisons, but this is supposed to be a compliment. There's a woman who's very important in my life. Oh? You look like her. Where is she? She's on my ship. Her name is the Scarlet Queen. She's carved from wood, and she spends all her time under the bowsprit from where she keeps a good watch on what she's leading the rest of us into. you look like her.
3: Do you mind?
1: Uh Uh-uh. I think it's wonderful. I think it takes care of everything that wasn't taken care of before.
3: Phil. Phil, wait. All right. Phil, I... I wanted to tell you... I was scared again when you said there was a woman. I was jealous. I... I want to tell you what... What's happening to me?
1: That puts you right up in my class.
3: Then it's all right. Oh, Phil. You and your wooden woman.
1: After I'd got Kim Yuwi to put me up in a room farther away from the incessant phonograph, I lay awake. Remembering that I'd started out to forget the senseless frustration that had bogged down the voyage of the Scarlet Queen, and that I'd succeeded. Hank and I didn't move out of Kim Yui's building the next day. We spent most of our time watching the street from the window to see if our taxi dash of the night before had really shaken off her persistent friends. Nobody bothered us, nothing did because there didn't seem to be anything else in the world except this dream that had picked us up out of the center of reality. That we couldn't or wouldn't leave. We went out that evening and walked, holding to the darkest streets and holding hands. A light fog had rolled in to blur the lights in the harbor by the time we got back and the foghorns were calling nervously to one another. The next morning we hired a taxi It followed the winding picturesque road around to Repulse Bay. We swam in the blue water, lay on the sand in the sun, drank in the hotel bar. It was just before sunset when we got back to Kim Yu Wee's, climbed the stairs, opened the door, to find the dream invaded. The room had been ripped to pieces and it was cluttered by the things from her luggage. In the middle of it stood the slight mincing man from the Emperor Lobby, Neil Gaynor, his graceful fingers holding a small Japanese automatic.
6: Ah, Tristan and Isolde, do come in. Neil. Neil, go away. Oh, I'll come to you. Will you, really? The door, Captain Connor, close it, if you will. Dear Henrietta, you're actually blowing. What's happened to you? I must know. Please, Neil, give me just two hours. I promise I'll come to you. The power of man, really. The utter effectiveness of him. What has he wrought, Henrietta? Look,
1: Nola, straighten up and say something. I'm losing my temper and I'm going to make you kill me to keep me from getting my fingers around that dimpled throat please, of yours.
6: Phil, please, please don't, Phil. What is sold means is that I would put out both your eyes before you took two steps. Bang, bang. I don't see how you stand the noise. My we brave. All right, my man of action. And knowing your type, I will show you how sweetly my little one speaks. Just the tip of your right ear. <laughs> you can oh. yourself, Henrietta. Turn your head, Captain. See? Just a slow welling of good, healthy blood. Just Nick. <laughs> and another one beside the first. Now, my man of action, I hope you feel some respect for my little one. And I will leave my warning unspoken. Sit down, Henrietta. Your man will remain behind you. How much have you told him? About what, Neil? Oh, you're such a young, innocent, aren't you? <coughs> How much have you told him?
3: I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Neil. How could I tell him anything? Who so are you
6: trying to impress? After all, the captain shouldn't mind if you're only a few hundred thousand pounds sterling outside the law, should you, captain? As long as you're enjoying yourself. I don't know what you're talking about, Neil. How interesting. You mean the disposal of jewels valued at two hundred thousand pounds was too unimportant to be discussed in your home? Neil! Do you mean my husband? Was, I do indeed, was, and you know it. Lucian Ainley and the brilliant robbery of the Himalayan Transport Company. You believe it or you wouldn't have flown so rapidly to Hong Kong after my cable to you. I
3: was worried about Lucian. You were worried about
6: the jewels. Where is Lucian? He is dead, oh. my dear. And you and your captain will be also unless you tell me where the jewels are.
3: Neil, I don't know anything about them. Lucian never told me anything. Believe me, I, I don't know. I really... Neil. Neil, what
6: are do you doing? If you tell me the same story for 40 minutes, I'll try to believe you.
1: I'd moved two inches closer to the chair while he backed halfway across the room. He had a thin leather belt in one hand and he held his automatic in the other. Just as his arm went back and he was briefly off balance, I dropped to my knees behind the chair, grabbed the legs and threw everything. Chair, rising girl and my 210 pounds on him, all at the same time. I stumbled across Hank of the tangle, sprawled forward into Neil's legs just as his automatic snapped. I got my feet under me, pulled him partly up by his hair and on one shoulder, gave him my right knee. Oh, no. I heard his breath leave him when the pain doubled him up. I hit him just above the chin with my right. Knee. Oh. I got to my feet, lifted Neil by his clothes. I took him out of the room. I stopped at the head of the stairs and I tossed him down.
4: What's the matter with you?
6: Oh, are you all right?
4: Sure, I'm all right.
6: Oh, hold me, Phil, please,
1: hold me. Yeah. Did he hurt you?
3: Not very much.
1: The devil he didn't.
3: Phil, could we go someplace you else? You mean
1: five by five might show up now? Oh, I think so. And we aren't going anyplace else. We'll wait for him. Go get some decent clothes on. And do something with your face. You're a mess. We didn't have to wait long for our next visitor. When I heard his footsteps on the stairs leading to our floor, I hustled Hank into a corner where she'd be out of sight. I waited at the door with Neil's automatic. A funny approach, and for a split second, I had the crazy hunch that it wasn't five by five. The hunch was right. It wasn't. Skip!
4: What the devil happened to you? Gallagher, what are you doing here? I came up to... to talk to you. What do you want, Red? I just wanted to talk to you. Don't you think this vacation has gone on long enough? What do you mean? I just want to know if you're going to turn into a Hong Kong playboy or come back to the ship, that's all. I think the least I deserve is the truth, don't you? Yes, Well, I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about the boys and the crew. After all, they're as much your responsibility as mine, and I'm not... Well. Can you come out here so I can talk to you? Yeah, sure, Rick. What? Some dough was delivered to the ship for you and sailing orders from Kang. Did you open them? They were open. The next port's high farm. I was thinking if you want to stick around for a while and come down by land, I could take the Queen down. Well, it's none of my business. How'd you find me? Through the police. You're mixed up with some nice hot company this time. I know it, Red. They got their clamps ready for your your girl. And I'd like to see you get out before they shut. They've had their fingers on every move you've made since you met her. You're in deep enough, Skipper. All right, Red. All right, gather the
1: crew. We'll sail at nine tonight. Add <laughs> a boy, Skipper.
4: There are plenty more like her where we're going. Yeah. What is it, Phil?
1: Come here, Hank. Sit down.
3: Is this goodbye, Phil? You just tell me if it is.
1: What if I told you that Red was taking the ship and that I was going to stay here?
3: Oh, that it'd be bad for you and good for me. and we'd make it somehow.
1: What about that 200,000-pound bundle of jewels?
3: Would it make any difference, Phil?
1: No. Now, what if I told you that the police here in Hong Kong were absolutely sure that you do know where the jewels are?
3: I feel impossible. Unless Neil made a sworn statement out of his suspicion. It's true, Hank.
1: They're ready to take you. Listen, if I could draw the police away from you and give you a break...
3: You draw the police away from me. You wouldn't take the break? With you drawing the police? What kind of a break would that be with you in danger for no reason at all? Bill, why are you saying all these things?
1: To get to the real way out and to make it sound as simple as it really is. The Scarlet Queen is sailing tonight at nine and you're going with her.
3: Oh, I could go with you.
1: You see how simple it is?
3: Oh, it's with you. That's all I can see. It's
1: the way out, Hank. We'll figure the rest when it comes up, okay? Oh,
3: okay. How can I answer that? How can I answer a question as big as my whole life? Just say
1: sure it's okay and shut up. You better just shut up and come here. Everything's going to be all right now, darling. Isn't it?
3: I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything.
1: You have to leave a lot of your stuff. That's all right. You can only take one bag. I'll take it down to the ship right now.
3: You're going to leave now?
1: I have to, Hank. Got things to take care of. Oh,
3: yes, yes, I know you do. Yes, and you'll be back when?
1: I'll pick you up at 8.30. Phil.
3: Phil, hurry back. I've gotten so used to you.
1: It's about three hours, darling. We can handle that, can't we?
3: I don't know. (laughs) Hold me, Phil. Oh, yeah. Three hours. I don't know if I can get through them or not,
1: I took her one small bag with me when I left. I got down to the waterfront without being followed and took her bag into a dive. Drank my way through the longest three hours of my life. I had to do it this way. I'd asked her if she'd let me draw the police away and she'd refuse, so I had to leave her. I had to do it my way. A quarter after eight, when she was counting the last 15 minutes to the time when we'd be together... I made an anonymous phone call to the Hong Kong police. In a quarter of nine, I staggered drunkenly aboard my ship, carrying in my arms a straw-stuffed dress. At the end of the pier, I saw the police I'd called. I walked a little slower. Then I saw him, the squat figure of five by five, skulking in the lee of a warehouse. And I knew that in the mist, the object in my arms would pass very well to all of them as Henrietta... Hank Ainley on her way to Haifa. We nose slowly out of the fog blanketed harbor. Cut past the invisible Stonecutter's Island and turned south into the steady roll of the South China Sea. The wind we picked up outside swirled gray dampness across our decks and rattled the running rigging.
5: Stand by for
1: me, sail. The miserable crew moved sullenly to their stations at the halyards. This foggy departure meant nothing to them. They hadn't known Hank Ainley. let stop the sheet! Make sail! The main sheet moved sluggishly up the mast, and the moisture that clung to it gleamed dully in the faint glow of our running lights.
5: Sit your sheets, man! Slide now!
1: his best, but the men moved like martyrs to a lost cause. And the jibs moved out, and the mizzen, and the Scarlet Queen groped her way into the fog. That's
4: a bad night, Skipper. But not much shipping down this way. I guess we don't have to worry too much about collision. Do you think so? Oh, c- come on, Skipper, pull out of it. <laughs> What'd you do, fall in love or stuff? Shut up! Get out of here, Gallagher. Leave me alone. Uh, hey, Skipper, climb off. What did I do? Nothing red. Nothing. Look at you! What's the matter with me? You got us two points off course, and the mainsail is starting to flitter. That proved she wasn't good for you. Oh, look. You already got one lady in your life. That scarlet beauty under our power spirit.
1: Log entry to catch scarlet queen 11:30 p.m. miles traveled from san francisco 11047 dense fog wind light sail reduced because of bad visibility ship secured for night signed philip carney master
2: of the Scarlet Queen has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
0: And that's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon, and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night.
1: 20 degrees, 29 minutes east, 14 degrees north. Wind light, sky overcast. Remarks departed port of Manila, 9 a.m. after canceling shore leave for crew. Reason for unscheduled departure? The barefoot nymph in the mother hubbard jacket. that we raised the island of Luzon on the eastern horizon and stood in toward Manila. I swung the Scarlet Queen a little north of her course and we passed close under the rocks of Corregidor. Every eye on our decks was turned towards the squat fortification for a minute. By this time, they were covered with jungle growth again and were loudly silent in the manner of monuments that hold the stories of men who made them monuments. Beyond the island, we could see the steaming mass of batan, and we swung back into Manila Bay. Manila should have been a friendly, relaxing port for all of us. It meant a break in our voyage under charter to Canyon son. To my crewmen, it meant the longest shore leave they'd had since we left San Francisco, and girls who knew what that meant to American seamen. To my chief mate Gallagher, it was like a home state picnic. The harbor was jammed with freighters and tankers from the states. That meant that the Belanga Street bars were jammed with their crews. And that meant that Gallagher was jammed in with them, running into old friends and making new ones. Manila should have been a holiday. And it was for three days and two nights. At 10 o'clock the third night, I was in the cabin alone, summing through the latest hydrographic bulletin I'd been able to find in town, when I heard somebody running down the docks or between tween. the automatic. Lay off, off. with this. Get Come out? on, give it to me, Brad. Get away from me, stupid. Sure you're not. What happened? Who'd you kill? The president? I might if he gets in, in the way. way. Gallagher! A wild-eyed mate and an automatic loose in Manila. There wasn't much time for the hydrographic bulletin. I closed it, locked my desk, and went out after him. And so
2: Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. Queen, broadest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week a complete entry in the log, and every week a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen.
1: Belanger is being pushed by temper or is in a hurry. He walks as though he's working up against the incline of a pitching deck in a storm. His body bends forward from a point almost as low as his feet. His shoulders pull up protectively on each side of his head, and his arms barely swing in short arcs. I followed him up to Botanese Street, across the railroad track, through the park on Ambil and Dewey Boulevard, and to the left on Belanger. We passed three bars. I could hear the force from a half a block away. The dimly lighted sign that hung outside said Victory Cabaret. But judging from the din of battle that poured out at us as we approached, somebody had been a little premature in naming it. The remaining activity was going on in the center of what was left of a large bar room. I lost Red for a minute, but then I found him in the center of the room. Hey, Red! Again, and then I saw him heading toward a door at the rear of the room. What
5: the shit? Here we go.
1: He stopped at another door, halfway down a long, dimly lit hall by the time I caught up with him. He opened it. The room was furnished with a broken window, a woman who looked like Miss America, and a man who should have been in a morgue instead of sprawled on his face where he was. and a split lip. You've had a fine night. Now it's time for bed. Come on, let's go.
3: Fred, please. You you promised me you'd help me out of this. Why? I'm afraid to leave here alone. I don't know where that mason is or anything. The whole thing's so crazy. I'm just scared. It's oh,
4: Skipper, take her home, will you? Why me? I didn't ask you to tag along, did I? But now that you're here, do it something. I want to stick with Pete until I can get word to his ship. I hope somebody's around to do the same thing for me sometime. At this rate, it won't be long. (laughs) Thanks, Skipper. Well, you want to fight your way out through the bar, or would a nice broken back window in a quiet alley do?
1: It was easier getting out than it had been coming in. I flipped out first. I crunched under the glass, the window glass on the ground. I waited quietly for a minute to see if the noise had raised anybody. I gave the alley a quick once over. There was nobody in sight. Just as I started to turn back to the building, I caught a glitter of metal in the light from the window. It was a small nickel-plated revolver lying on the other side of the alley. Now, if the gunman had tossed it there, it was all right with me. I left it for the cops. Lona followed me out. And in five minutes, we were in one of Manila's prized two-wheeled horse-drawn rigs, and we were headed for her address. Uh, I wonder what's going to happen. The law is going to show up, and they're going to start scattering the bones. What usually happens with murder.
3: I'm so scared, I don't know what to do.
1: Oh, come on. Calm down. You're a beautiful dame, and a couple of guys started fighting over you. In fact, the whole joint finally was. You're just living in the wrong century, that's all. Women thrived on that kind of stuff a few hundred years ago.
3: I suppose the police will get my name, won't they?
1: You'll be lucky if they don't. Oh,
3: dear. That'll mean my job. It so all started out to be an evening of just
1: fun. Look, Lona, I don't feel quite as sorry for you as you do. I'll tell you why. Maybe it'll help you. It started out to be an evening of just fun for Peterson, too, didn't it? I'm
3: sorry, Skip. All right.
1: Now, is there something else you'd like to talk about?
3: No, I guess you said everything.
1: not comfortable, but it was silent. We plopped across the Patek River and turned down a wide thoroughfare that led in the general direction of the exclusive residential district under Tagate Bridge. The direction surprised me only a little, but her address, when we finally reached it, was as far removed as Manhattan's Seekman Place from the Victory Cabaret. In class, if not in miles. It was a graceful mansion, set behind a well-tended lawn that was made precisely irregular by a Few neat garden plots made primly informal by a number of mango and papaya trees that threw cautious shadows in the faint moonlight.
3: Well, uh, aren't you going to let me out?
1: Yeah, if you're sure this is the right address.
3: Do you want to come in?
1: No, thanks. I'm confused enough out here.
3: You're a refreshing guy, Skipper. Uh-huh. The a helpless dame, and there are no passes or anything. Nothing but a brotherly remark about my being beautiful.
1: Yeah. I'm always shy with women I take away from dead men.
3: <sighs> you kicked me all the way up from Belanger Street. I guess you just had to kick me into the house, didn't you? Good night, Skipper.
1: Thanks. Good night, Lona. Hey, it's Back to the Victory Cabaret, Belanga Street. I paid my cochero off and headed into the Victory Cabaret. The only person in sight was a hefty, barrel-waisted bartender who was pushing a broom at the litter on the floor. Keep your pay in your pocket, mate. I ain't open for business. Yes, yeah, so I see. What happened? So what happened? Well, I'll tell you. It was no more than a friendly little scuffle. Yeah, looks it. At... A few of the hands from a few of the ships come to the shore for a good time. The, uh... The cops get here? And it cost me a few thousand dollars. But somebody's got to keep up the morale in the Merchant Marine. A nice bunch of boys. The cops. Could May help you? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Anybody killed? That's uh, so I hear. One outright and a half a dozen they wasn't quite sure of. Eh, uh, you missing any friends? Yeah, one. Big red-headed guy wearing a jumper with the sleeves rolled up, tattooing on his arms. With a name like Gallagher. He's a friend of yours, you say? Yeah, why? You better be careful who you admit it to. They got a book for murder. They're nuts. Oh, I don't know. The fellow was shot in one of my rooms back there. When they sneaked up on this Gallagher, he was outside the window with a gun that's done the shooting still in his hand. They're nuts. I saw that gun lying out there in the alley myself. I can prove Gallagher didn't kill him. Huh. Well, that story, you better find another port. While we're on the subject of moving, get out of here, will you? I lost enough friends in the forest tonight. I walked out of the door ten steps up the sidewalk. And then five steps watched the bartender pick up the telephone. This time I took a cab to Lona's address. I wondered what she'd say now about involving her name when it was the clear red. I had a few answers for that. And I was working on a few things to say to Gallagher for standing there in that alley with a murder weapon in his hand when we pulled up in front of the house. By the time I reached the door, I knew it was no good. It was 1 a.m., but I had a hunch that for Lona, the day hadn't ended.
3: Well. Well, skip
1: her. I hope it isn't too late.
3: It never is at my house. Come on in.
1: She had a sort of breathless expression when she talked to me. The corners of her mouth were drawn up slightly into a bare trace of a smile. Her lips were always separated, just a little. Her eyes were warm and brown. She led me through a short hall and down three steps into a large, carelessly furnished room. She was dressed in a hostess gown of some light, clinging material.
3: I'm
1: Her hair went with her eyes and it hung just short of shoulder length. And her feet were bare. We crossed the room and into a are. den that had a tile floor, low, wide bamboo furniture, wide, screened windows that looked out onto a side garden.
3: This is my favorite room. Do you like it?
1: Yeah, great.
3: But I don't think you really like rooms. Some men don't. Sit down.
1: Uh-huh.
3: Oh, no, no, no. There. Uh-huh. you see my abstractions. I paint a little. Over here on the chair. Here. You been drinking or shall I mix one for you?
1: I haven't been drinking and I'd like one. All
3: right.
1: How'd you know I'd be back?
3: Because I asked you.
1: I didn't hear you.
3: I didn't ask you with words. I asked you with me. Oh. You're
1: an amazing one.
3: Why are you looking at me
1: like that? Huh? You've changed so many times tonight, but I can't stay abreast of it. I
3: change all the time, so I won't become monotonous. That's the only way I can stand myself. Which one of me do you like the best?
1: This one. Barefooted. With your hair down.
3: I was brushing my hair when you rang the bell. I don't think many women do, but I love my hair. So soft. Feel it. Where do you come from? Every place. Do that with my hair some more. What's your other name besides Skipper? I mean, Phil. Huh. What? What's the matter? Nothing. Nothing, darling. Glass just rolled off and broke. For a minute, I didn't know what it was. Listen, that—that that sound will be this night, even when I'm old. Your nice tanned face and your blue eyes and your strong hands. You think I'm beautiful, don't you?
4: I think you're
3: beautiful. Good to be with someone who thinks you're beautiful. Tell me. You're beautiful. Yes, I know. Darling. Phil, I'm so happy. It's so good to be beautiful with you.
1: Maybe it would have been different if I hadn't been afraid of her or if I hadn't been convinced that everything she said or did had purpose, or if I hadn't known that each of us was waiting for the other to bring up the subject of Gallagher's arrest. But there was no doubt about one thing, and it was hard to keep it from overshadowing anything else. As she repeatedly stated, as she loved to state, as she loved to hear me repeatedly state, she was beautiful. From any measurement or any comparison, she was beautiful. But even she dropped the subject after a while.
3: Make mine weaker than yours, will
1: you, Phil? I put it the other way. I'll make mine stronger than yours.
3: Makes you happier that way,
1: I'm willing. Oh. Better get this glass off the deck unless you expect me to carry you around the rest of the night. How
3: long are you going to be in Manila Skipper? Oh, I don't
1: know.
3: I wish it was going to be for a long time. Yeah, it might be. Listen to me. I've got to say this. You've got to know I mean it. Mm-hmm. it Happens, but it never happened to me. And now I think it could. I could fall in love.
5: <laughs>
3: don't
1: laugh at me. <laughs> don't joke. I'm
3: not joking. For the first time in my life, I think it could happen.
1: I'm sure you mean that as a great compliment. But somehow it doesn't hit me. Oh,
3: Phil, why are you acting like this? Because
1: I don't believe you. Because I've never had any reason to believe you. Because I've gotten nothing but lies from you ever since I met you. But
3: I'm not lying. Why are you treating me
1: like this? What other way is there? You're a great little animal to have around the house, but you're only safe when you're out in front where somebody can watch you.
3: All right, Phil. Maybe you know what you're
1: trying to say. So do you. For one thing, you killed Peterson.
3: I did not.
1: You were lying, man. You said he was shot from outside the window, and he wasn't. He was shot by somebody inside the room. You were the only one there. I
3: didn't kill him.
1: Now, don't think I haven't enjoyed your so alluring hospitality. But the smiling, spontaneous welcome I got at the door doesn't hold water. Because I'll bet you my ship that you knew I was on the prowl and probably heading this way 40 minutes before I got here, and you heard it from the bartender at the Victory Cabaret. I saw him go to the phone. What are you supposed to do? Hold me here? And for why? Why? What do you want, Phil? I want my chief mate. I'll trade you or anybody else in on him.
3: Oh, Phil, why did you wait? If you suspected these things, why did you go through with the, the jam of life?
1: All I want is my chief mate. If you don't start doing something about it, I will. All
3: right, Phil. I have to make a couple of calls. The phone's in the other room. You carry me.
1: Huh? Hmm? Oh, Yeah was the deal, was it? Uh,
3: I wonder why it had to be this way, Phil.
1: I don't know. I don't know what your game is, and I don't care, but you were in it before I went.
3: Phil, Red was only a coincidence. Really, he was. Mm-hmm. He just happened to know Chris Peterson and sit down with him. And then the stupid redhead, he had to go out the window and find that gun and be standing there when the police showed up. So then Delkey had the brainstorm and twisted Who's the Delkey, story. The yes, he told the cops that Gallagher instead of Mason had made the pass with me. That started the whole thing. And he went after Peter. Yeah, All I,
1: right, here's your phone.
3: Do you believe me,
1: sir? How in the devil should I know when to believe in when not to? I told you I don't care. All I want is my chief mate. When I get him, I'll believe anything.
3: I was just supposed to stall things until Mason could get back to the States. He was leaving in the morning. I was supposed to hold you until his ship... All right,
1: fine. Let him find somebody else for a stall. (laughs) Who are you going to start with, the chief of police?
3: (laughs) Afraid the police think even less of me than you do. We have to settle this between Ralph Mason and Delkey and myself.
1: You're going to bring him out here? Where else? Hmm. Looks like I'm going to be outnumbered, doesn't it? I stood by her when she made her calls, and as far as I could figure, they were straight. Just strong invitations to get to the house as quickly as possible. Then she made a typical exit into another part of the house, and I went back to the den. I thought the least I could do was to get rid of the jagged edges of our brief and hypocritical romance, so I got a bar towel and pushed the broken glass under the couch. When she came in, she'd gone through another complete change. She was dressed like her front lawn, primly, informal, in beige flax popped by an overmodest jacket buttoned high around her throat and hanging loosely like a mother hubbard to her waist.
3: It shouldn't be long, Phil.
1: Maybe we could have a neat one while we wait. Yeah, sure, sir. Incidentally, I don't like your new character. It's
3: all right for the time of night, isn't it? I
1: guess so.
3: I think I ought to warn you, Phil. Mason is dangerous. He'll try to buy you off first.
1: Buy me off for of what?
3: will try to talk you into... Do <phone rings> you want to go to the door with me? Or do you trust me enough to
1: let me meet them? I can't think of anybody I ever trusted less. Go ahead.
3: Captain Carney, this is Ralph Mason, and I believe you said that you'd
1: met Mr. Delkin. Yeah. yeah. What's on your mind, Carney? My chief mate. I want him out of jail. I got enough on that mess in the Victory Cabaret to tell a pretty good story. It's a pretty good story the way it stands cops like it. They won't by the time I get through with it. Just one thing. The glass from that window that was supposed to have been broken from the outside. None of it's inside the room where it should be. You think that's enough? Since they arrested Gallagher standing on the outside looking in, it might be. Even Manila cops should change their mind on that one. That uh, story could wait, couldn't it? Not the way I see it, no. Use your head, mate.
6: Don't be rude.
1: What's your price, Connie, to leave your mate in the jug until we're clear of this? With the truth, you can get him out any time. It's pretty high. I'm leaving tomorrow. I'll start with $15,000. I don't think you can go high enough, Mason. You might as well quit. All I need is a patsy, and I don't care who it is. May
3: I say something, Ralph? I don't quite see why we have to bargain with Captain Carney. You didn't hesitate about Peterson after his double-cross, Ralph. Now Captain Carney is in the way.
1: When you hate, you hate real good, don't you?
3: It's business, Captain. I used such bad judgment when I offered to let you join our little organization. You what? What
4: are you talking about?
3: Captain Carney has a ship that would fit into our inter island work. So afraid I made a mistake. I explained the type of contraband that was coming in from the States, the prices we were getting for it, and how there were opportunities for a man like him. I'm so sorry. He led me to believe that he was interested.
1: You're a sucker for men, Lorna. You found Peterson, too. That cost us $30,000 worth of stateside liquor and three months to get it over here. Peterson sold it on his own.
3: Not quite on his own, Ralph. He didn't have any contacts here.
1: Who was in with him? Well, I
3: was his very best friend in Manila.
1: Why, are you dirty... <laughs> Mason shoved his chair out of the way behind him as he got up and started reaching inside his coat for a shoulder hose. That's when the mother-hubbard jacket lifted a little on the right side, and Lona's manicured hand pulled a belly gun from the waistband of a slack. Spoke twice, quickly and effectively. And Mason stiffened, and his right hand stopped an inch away from his gun butt, and he toppled slowly backward across his overturned chair.
3: don't ask one question. I have this all worked out. But, Lona... You can solve the murder in your cabaret. You take Mason down to the police. Tell them the story of how the glass is on the wrong side of the window. You tell them you captured Mason single-handed and you'll gain a whole lot of new customers.
1: Well, they believe me, Lona. It's the
3: truth, isn't it? And here's the gun you captured him with to prove it. Now get him out of here. Good heavens.
5: Look at that floor.
3: I wonder what this all meant, Phil. Hmm?
1: All what, Lana?
3: This thing we lived through. It's been important, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, slightly. Two guys didn't make it. That is
3: what I mean. We did move everything and make this little room the center of the world, didn't
1: we? I wish I knew what you meant.
3: You wonder if I'm still in love with you, don't you?
1: Handedly, by this time, I don't know what I wonder.
3: I could be, Phil. I'm afraid it's impractical. If you'll just hold me just once more, tell me once more. Beautiful, Lona. And I'll always remember the glasses, Phil. It's getting late. You'll have to go. Well,
1: well, couldn't we have one more drink?
3: Oh, no, I wouldn't dare. got to put my hair in braid and straighten the house up. My husband is coming home Your in the husband? morning. He worries so about me. I have to have everything Your just Your husband? Sold.
1: Where is he? Oh,
3: he has gold mines in Mindoro. He's much older than I am. But he's rich. He allows me to stay here in Manila with my hobbies. Goodbye, Captain Carney. Oh.
1: The rest of my men and we slipped away from our berth and headed out through Manila Bay. We picked up a moist, hot wind at the mast.
5: to make sail.
1: The exhausted crew stumbled to their stations. Every man bare to the waist and glistening wet. This struggled up the mainmast and reached hopefully out for a pulling breeze. Did the
5: jib sheet men?
1: me out! They didn't move smartly, but the jib crawled out. Then the mizzen boom swung sullenly over my head. And the queen rolled slowly down towards Verde Island Passage, the Cebuyan Sea beyond. Well, I had a good rest last
4: night, but it looks like I'm the only one aboard the ditch. Oh, lay off. Look at that crew. It's a disgrace. I'm half a mind to turn them all to holy stone in the deck from bow to stern. Uh, take over, will you, Red? Oh, not on your life. This is your watch, and I'm going to take my exercise. That Manila jail air is invisible. No way
1: off, will you, Red? Don't forget, I was sitting in the cabin with the hydrographic bulletin when you busted in.
4: <laughs> take it
1: easy, skipper. Go on below. I'll take your trick. Ah, the devil, you will. Just wait. Till you call aboard the next time, and don't think you haven't done it before. We'll have you some sympathy. <laughs> what are my chances in the next port? Fair, and I'll be waiting for you. It's Masbate. Masbate. Mm-hmm. What do you know about that jail? Nothing. And uh, before I take a nap, huh? What is your outstanding recollection of the capital of the Philippines? Some broken glass I pushed under a bamboo couch. <laughs> and I wonder what her husband's gonna say. Uh, it's funny you mention that, Skipper. Yeah? I met a husband in jail. He was in for murder. Could he kill the wife? No. Oh, the smooth talking stranger. <laughs> Drink, Skipper. He killed the wrong one. <laughs> After you, mate. After you. <laughs> Country, the Catch Scarlet Queen, 5 30 p.m. Miles traveled from San Francisco, 9,450. Wind white, sky overcast, sea leaden, carrying full sail, ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney, Master. entry, the catch scarlet queen, Philip Carney, master. Position 112 degrees, 32 minutes east, 21 degrees, 6 minutes north. Wind light, sky fair. Remarks, departed Hong Kong, China, 9 p.m. after breakdown in schedule. Reason for delay, the jewel thieves and the straw-filled dummy. Dummy. <laughs> main purpose when the Scarlet Queen slipped past Stonecutter's Island and into the teeming harbor of Hong Kong was to locate my Chinese boss, Kuji Kang, or at least to get some word of instruction for the charter voyage that had brought me all the way from San Francisco. But three days passed and I had no luck. I combed the city of Victoria from the peak to Broadway on the waterfront, but the Queen idly scraped her fenders on the dock. My crew poured their money into bar tills, my chief mate Gallagher threatened to sign on any ship that was going any place. And I grew more disgusted every minute at being stuck, not knowing where to go or what to do. By the end of the fourth day, I didn't care. I didn't care about anything but relaxing and forgetting. I started with a small bar on the waterfront, and by the time I'd graduated through the British Club, the Hong Kong Club, the Commercial Club, and four out of every five non-club bars I passed, getting from place to place, I had almost succeeded in forgetting. I swung into the Emperor Hotel, crossed a lobby peopled by a scattering of stiff-backed crown colonists, and made the doorway to the bar to look for a table. I stopped. She was sitting alone with an untouched drink in front of her. She looked up at me, her face set and cold. Her eyes flashed away for a second back. Then she smiled... Stood up and came to me.
3: Oh, darling, there you are. I've been waiting so long, I didn't know what to think. Oh? You're so late. We'll have to rush to get dressed in time for dinner. Come on, I have the key to our room.
1: I stopped thinking it was the new Hong Kong approach when she took my arm to swing me back into the lobby. Her nails dug in, and her arm and the body behind it were shaking. The plea in her eyes gave me the rest. She was scared, stiff, and she needed me. We turned around and walked out into the lobby. And so Mutual
2: continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log. And every week, a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen.
1: She led me across the lobby without another word, her nails still digging through my coat sleeve, her arms still shaking. When we stopped to buzz for the elevator, I looked back. A very erect, thinly-built man was coming out of the bar. His walk was mincing. He stopped by a pillar and looked at us while he put a cigarette in the middle of his mouth with graceful fingers, lit it, and flourished the match delicately to the floor. A powerfully built little five-by-five walked up and joined him. They were still watching us when the elevator took us out of sight. me the key to unlock the door. But when it closed, everything drained out of her. She slumped down on the edge of the bed.
3: I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so frightened. Now,
1: take it easy. You want to try a drink or something?
3: A glass of water.
1: Sure. I hear you.
3: Thank you. I I can't hold
5: it.
1: Yeah, I'll hold it for you.
3: I think so. Who was your
1: sylph-like little friend downstairs?
3: His name is Neil Gaynor. And the other
1: one, five by five? I don't
3: know what his name is.
1: They really knock you to pieces, don't they?
3: Neil says he's going to kill me. Why? They were going to follow me out of the bar, and I don't know why. I swear I don't know. They want something from me, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what they've done to my husband.
4: Where is your husband?
3: Neil says he's dead. He says he's dead, and I'm next. i <laughs> Please.
1: Now, this is no time to cry. You're all right.
3: I, I've no right to ask you. But could you stay with me? Please, don't leave me.
1: It's been my fortune to only occasionally see a woman cry as she did, because she had to. It wasn't an act. It wasn't to gain sympathy. It was a cry of complete, terror-filled desolation. Oh, oh, oh. She quit shaking. A long time after that, she got up, went into the bathroom to put some cold water on her face.
3: I'm awfully sorry for everything that's happened. I'm all right now, really. Please, I didn't have any right to ask you, and I don't want you to feel you have to stay here with me any longer. I don't. But you aren't leaving. No.
1: Look, I was on hand when you needed me.
3: You're bargaining?
1: Believe me, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I'm taking advantage of you because you're in trouble, but if it is that, it's unconscious because I don't work that way. Maybe my world's kind of falling to pieces right now, too, and I need somebody. I'd hate to think that because I've been self-contained for a long time.
3: You aren't going.
1: You could make me go, or you could come with me. Where? Someplace where you could forget being afraid of Neil someplace where he wouldn't find us.
3: Oh, we couldn't get out of here without being followed. I've been
1: tailed through cities before. Pack your bags. I'm going to take you someplace.
3: You're going to take me someplace? No one has said that to me for such a long time. It won't take me long to pack.
1: hotel by a rear door. We shouldn't have bothered. There was enough light for me to see Neil Gaynor leaning against the building. When we got into our cab, he got into one parked behind us. We want speed, driver. Turn left at the end of the alley and I'll give you directions from then on. The driver knew what speed meant, but his idea of threading through traffic was based on the theory of the straight line modified by the belief that the line would open through the snarl traffic ahead of it if he made enough noise with his horn. We crossed and recrossed the level sections of town with Neil and the other cab trailing in our wake. We paralleled the waterfront, dodged through a maze of warehouses, finally lost him. We climbed halfway up Victoria Peak, took one of the terrace roads to the left, dropped to within a block of sea level, and I finally shouted the driver to a stop in front of a Chinese flat. Right here, Charlie! (laughs) Right, come on. <laughs> Upstairs. Up yeah,
5: the
6: Hello, Kim, you remember me? Frank, look out. Come the one called Carney. The year have been many, son. Sure, it's time before me. We need a room for the lady, Kimwe. It is done. Her baggage is outside by the steps. My son will bring it. Uncle, follow.
1: thanks very much, Kim. She crossed the room to the single window and opened the shutters to look out over the blinking, restless movement of the harbor, the maze of Kowloon's lights across the bay. And for the first time, she was smiling.
3: Uh, they keep playing that same record over and over again, don't they?
1: Tell me the truth. Could you tell the difference if they weren't?
3: Certainly. I can tell the difference between one with a singer and one without. It'll
1: <laughs> we'll put you right up in my class. Feeling better?
3: Of course I am. Your friend downstairs called you Carney?
1: That's right, Phil.
3: Phil Carney.
1: You must have one, too, huh?
3: I don't want to tell you.
1: Well, give me a phony, then. Tell me something. Oh,
3: no, no, it's not that I want to hide anything from you. You just won't like it. My last name is Ainley. What Ainley? You won't like it. It's Henrietta.
1: Oh, no. <laughs>
3: I told you. Oh, well, it's all
1: right. It's a fine name. But you... It becomes you like uh like a diving suit would. I told you. Well, it's too late to do anything legal about it. I'll call you Hank.
3: Oh, do you think that's prettier? Hank?
1: (laughs) Not too feminine, but when you look like you do, they could call you Sam, and it wouldn't matter. (laughs) So it's all right, huh?
3: Sure. Everything is. Just for a little while, everything is all right.
1: Don't talk about it if you don't want to.
3: I think I do want to. It's simple enough, I guess. You see, my parents were killed out here during the war, and after it was over, I was all alone. Uh-huh. And I married Lucian Ainley. He was good to me. I don't know what he was mixed up in with Neil. I never asked him about anything.
1: When was the last time you saw him?
3: That was over three weeks ago. You see, our home was in Calcutta, and he he just left one day and didn't come back. And then I got a cable to meet him here, but when I got here, it wasn't Lucian, it was Neil. And, and I, I just don't know what it all means because the way Neil said it, I... I think he killed Lucian if if I just only well, knew... Don't take
1: it easy, Hank. If
3: I knew what he was, hey, from... Hey,
1: hey, we're out of the emperor, remember? <laughs> yes. We came out here so you could forget being scared.
3: I'm sorry, Phil. Everything is all right. Really, it is. What's the matter, Phil?
1: Everything's... a little frightening.
3: What, Phil?
1: You. What happens to me? Come here, Hank. Yes. I just want your face, like this. So I can look at it. What, Phil? I wondered what makes you so beautiful. Your mouth's a little too wide. Your eyes are a little too widely spaced. Your cheekbones a little too high.
3: They're playing that same record again.
1: Maybe you don't like comparisons, but this is supposed to be a compliment. There's a woman who's very important in my life. Oh? You look like her. Where is she? She's on my ship. Her name is the Scarlet Queen. She's carved from wood, and she spends all her time under the bowsprit from where she keeps a good watch on what she's leading the rest of us into. you look like her. Do you mind? Uh Uh-uh, I think it's wonderful. I think it takes care of everything that wasn't taken care of before.
3: Phil, Phil, wait. All right,
1: thanks.
3: Phil, I... I wanted to tell you I was scared again when you said there was a woman. I was jealous. I... I want to tell you what. what's happening to me.
1: That puts you right up in my class.
3: Oh, then it's all right. Oh, Phil. Huh. You and your wooden woman.
1: After I'd got Kim Yo to put me up in a room farther away from the incessant phonograph, I lay awake. Remembering that I'd started out to forget the senseless frustration that had bogged down the voyage of the Scarlet Queen, and that I'd succeeded. Hank and I didn't move out of Kim Yui's building the next day. We spent most of our time watching the street from the window to see if our taxi dash of the night before had really shaken off her persistent friends. Nobody bothered us. Nothing did because there didn't seem to be anything else in the world except this dream that had picked us up out of the center of reality. That we couldn't or wouldn't leave. We went out that evening and walked, holding to the darkest streets and holding hands. A light fog had rolled in to blur the lights in the harbor by the time we got back and the foghorns were calling nervously to one another. The next morning, we hired a taxi It followed the winding, picturesque road around to Repulse Bay. We swam in the blue water, lay on the sand in the sun, drank in the hotel bar. It was just before sunset when we got back to Kim Yu wees climbed the stairs, opened the door, to find the dream invaded. (gasps) The room had been ripped to pieces and it was cluttered by the things from her luggage. In the middle of it stood the slight mincing man from the Emperor Lobby, Neil Gaynor, his graceful fingers holding a small Japanese
6: automatic. Ah, Tristan and Isolde, do come in. Neil... Neil, go away. Oh, I'll would, come to you. Will you, really? The door, Captain Connor, Close it, if you will. Dear Henrietta, you're actually blowing. What's happened to you? I must know. Please, Neil, give me just two hours. I promise I'll come to you. The power of man, really. The utter effectiveness of him. What has he wrought, Henrietta? Look,
1: Nola, straighten up and say something. I'm losing my temper, and I'm
6: going to make you kill me to
1: keep me from getting my fingers around that dimpled throat don't of yours.
6: Phil, please, please don't, Phil. What to means is that I would put out both your eyes before you took two steps. Bang, bang. I don't see how you stand the noise. My aunt we be brave. All right, my man of action. And knowing your type, I will show you how sweetly my little one speaks. Just the tip of your right ear. <laughs> you can oh. yourself, Henrietta. Turn your head, Captain. C. Just a slow welling of good, healthy blood. Just Nick. <laughs> and another one beside the first. Now, my man of action, I hope you feel some respect for my little one. And I will leave my warning unspoken. Sit down, Henrietta. Your man will remain behind you. How much have you told him? About what, Neil? Oh, you're such a young, innocent, aren't you? (laughs) How much have you told him? I I, I don't know what
3: you're talking about, Neil. How could I tell him anything? Who are
6: you trying to impress? After all, the captain shouldn't mind if you're only a few hundred thousand pounds sterling outside the law, should you, captain? As long as you're enjoying yourself. I don't know what you're talking about, Neil. How interesting. You mean the disposal of jewels valued at two hundred thousand pounds was too unimportant to be discussed in your home? Neil! Do you mean my husband? I do indeed, and you know it. Lucian Ainley and the brilliant robbery of the Himalayan Transport Company. You believe it or you wouldn't have flown so rapidly to Hong Kong after my cable to you. I
3: was worried about Lucian. You were worried about
6: the jewels. Where is Lucian? He is dead, my dear. And you and your captain will be also unless you tell me where the jewels are.
3: Neil, I don't know anything about them. Lucian never told me anything. Believe me, I I don't know. I will. Neil. Neil, what
6: are you doing? Neil. If you tell me the same story for 40 minutes, I'll try to believe you.
1: I'd moved two inches closer to the chair while he backed halfway across the room. He had a thin leather belt in one hand and he held his automatic in the other. Just as his arm went back and he was briefly off balance, I dropped to my knees behind the chair, grabbed the legs and threw everything. Chair, rising girl and my 210 pounds on him all at the same time. I stumbled across Hank of the tangle, sprawled forward into Neil's legs just as his automatic snapped. I got my feet under me, pulled him way up by his hair and on one shoulder, gave him my right knee. I heard his breath leave him when the pain doubled him up. I hit him just above the chin with my right. Knee.
4: I got to my feet, lifted Neil by his clothes. I took him out of the room. I stopped at the head of the stairs and I tossed him down. What's the matter with
6: you? Oh, are you all right?
4: Sure, I'm all right.
6: Oh, hold me, Phil,
3: please.
1: Hold me. Did he hurt you?
3: Not very much.
1: The devil, he didn't.
3: Phil, could we go someplace else? You mean
1: Five by Five might show up now? Oh, I think so. We aren't going anyplace else. We'll wait for him. Go get some decent clothes on. Do something with your face. You're a mess. We didn't have to wait long for our next visitor. When I heard his footsteps on the stairs leading to our floor, I hustled Hank into a corner where she'd be out of sight. I waited at the door with Neil's automatic. A funny approach, and for a split second, I had the crazy hunch that it wasn't five by five. The hunch was right. It wasn't. Skip!
4: What the devil happened to you? Gallagher, what are you doing here? I came up to talk to you. What do you want, Red? Oh, I just wanted to talk to you. Don't you think this vacation has gone on long enough? What do you mean? I just want to know if you're going to turn into a Hong Kong playboy or come back to the ship, that's all. I think the least I deserve is the truth, don't you? Yes, Well, dear. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about the boys and the crew. After all, they're as much your responsibility as mine, and I'm not... Well, you... Can you come out here so I can talk to you? Yeah, sure, Rick. What? Some dough was delivered to the ship for you and sailing orders from Kang. Did you open them? They were open. The next port's high I was thinking if you want to stick around for a while and come down by land, I could take the Queen down. Well, it's none of my business. How'd you find me? Through the police. You're mixed up with some nice hot company this time. I know it, Red. They got their clamps ready for your... your girl. And I'd like to see you get out before they shut. They've had their fingers on every move you've made since you met her. You're in deep enough, Skipper. All right, Red. All right, gather the
1: crew. We'll sail at nine tonight. (laughs) a boy, Skipper.
4: There are plenty more like her where we're going. Yeah.
3: What? What is it, Phil?
1: Come here, Hank. Sit down.
3: Is this goodbye, Phil? You just tell me if it is.
1: What if I told you that Red was taking the ship and that I was going to stay here?
3: Oh, that it'd be bad for you and good for me. and we'd make it somehow.
1: What about that 200,000-pound bundle of jewels?
3: Would it make any difference, Phil?
1: No. Now, what if I told you that the police here in Hong Kong were absolutely sure that you do know where the jewels are?
3: I feel like it's impossible, unless Neil made a sworn statement out of his suspicion. It's true,
1: Hank. They're ready to take you. I... Listen, if I could draw the police away from you and give you a break...
3: You would... draw the police away from me. You wouldn't take the break? With you drawing the police? What kind of a break would that be with you in danger for no reason at all? Bill, why are you saying all these things?
1: To get to the real way out and to make it sound as simple as it really is. The Scarlet Queen is sailing tonight at nine and you're going with her.
3: Oh, I could go with you?
1: You see how simple it is?
3: Oh, it's with you. That's all I can see. It's
1: the way out, Hank. We'll figure the rest when it comes up, okay? Oh,
3: okay. How can I answer that? How can I answer a question as big as my whole life? Just say
1: sure it's okay and shut up. You better just shut up and come here. Everything's going to be all right now, darling. Isn't it?
3: I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything.
1: You have to leave a lot of your stuff. That's all right. You can only take one bag. I'll take it down to the ship right now.
3: You're going to leave now?
1: I have to, Hank things to take care of.
3: Oh, yes, yes, I know you do. Yes, and you'll be back when?
1: I'll pick you up at 8.30. Phil,
3: oh, Phil, hurry back. I've gotten so used to you.
1: It's about three hours, darling. We can handle that, can't we?
3: I don't know. <laughs> Hold me, Phil. Oh, yeah. Three hours. I don't know if I can get through them or not,
1: I took her one small bag with me when I left. I got down to the waterfront without being followed and took her bag into a dive. Drank my way through the longest three hours of my life. I had to do it this way. I'd asked her if she'd let me draw the police away and she'd refuse, so I had to leave her. I had to do it my way. A quarter after eight, when she was counting the last 15 minutes to the time when we'd be together... I made an anonymous phone call to the Hong Kong police. In a quarter of nine, I staggered drunkenly aboard my ship, carrying in my arms a straw-stuffed dress. At the end of the pier, I saw the police I'd called. I walked a little slower, and then I saw him, the squat figure of five-by-five five, skulking in the lee of a warehouse. And I knew that in the mist, the object in my arms would pass very well to all of them as Henrietta... Hank Ainley, on her way to Haifa We know slowly out of the far blanketed harbor... Cut past the invisible stonecutter's island and turned south into the steady roll of the South China Sea. The wind we picked up outside swirled gray dampness across our decks and rattled the running rigging. Stand
5: by for me! Fail!
1: The miserable crew moved sullenly to their stations at the halyards. This foggy departure meant nothing to them. They hadn't known Hank Ainley. let stop the sheet! Make sail! The main sheet moved sluggishly up the mast, and the moisture that clung to it gleamed dully in the faint glow of our running lights.
5: To the sheets, man!
1: his best, but the men moved like martyrs to a lost cause. And the jibs moved out, and the mizzen, and the Scarlet Queen groped her way into the fog.
4: That's a bad night, Skipper. But not much shipping down this way. I guess we don't have to worry too much about collision. Do you think so? Oh, c- come on, Skipper, pull out of it. <laughs> What'd you do, fall in love or something? Shut up! Get out of here, Gallagher. Leave me alone. Uh, hey, skipper, climb off. What did I do? Nothing, Red. Nothing. Look at you! What's the matter with me? You got us two points off course, and the mainsail is starting to flutter. That proved she wasn't good for you. Oh, look. You already got one lady in your life that scarlet beauty under our power spirit.
1: Log entry. The catch Scarlet Queen. 11:30 p.m. Miles traveled from San Francisco, 11,047. Dense fog, wind light, sail reduced because of bad visibility. Ship secured for night. Signed, Philip Carney, Master.
2: of the Scarlet Queen has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Now you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama, in which case make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic and live radio drama. So yeah, either the main Mutual Audio Network feed for all types and genres of audio drama or the Monday matinee. And we'll see you there.
0: The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.